I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. I'm going to read some uh, verses from this chapter that uh, will be a uh, backdrop of the morning message. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 8, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 4. Colossians 1 and verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice these, this amazing group of people in the city of Colossae. Notice how he describes their faith. Verse number 3 says, we, thank, uh, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it. And knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Then turn over a couple of pages to chapter 4, and notice their pastor, Epaphras, and his prayers for the church members where he served. Verse number 12, chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Heriopolis. Colossians chapter number 1 in your Bible. I'm sorry, chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 in your Bibles this morning. Last week we were uh, giving some consideration uh, to the subject of elders, elderly, uh, elders in our lives. I love, we love seniors. And, um, you know, one of the things that marks the value of seniors is their life experience that enables them uh, to think through and make decisions based on a, a level of wisdom and experience that's valuable. Decision making is an important part of all of our lives. We all make decisions every day. And uh, sometimes we make decisions that are really good. Uh, sometimes we make decisions that aren't so good. And the difference between making a good decision and making a bad decision is oftentimes the level of discernment that we possess in our lives. And discernment doesn't come easily and it doesn't come quickly. Discernment is a part of growing older and learning through the Knocks of life. And so this morning, uh, having looked at the subject of We Love Seniors last week, 
I want to take that, that uh, importance a little bit further and ask you the question, are you growing? Are you growing? We introduced Colossians chapter 1 and 4 just a moment ago. A man by the name of Epaphras or Epaphras, depending on whether you pronounce it right or wrong. I think I learned it wrong all my life and I still can't get it out of my, uh, my memory bank. Here's a man that got saved in the great revival in the church at Ephesus. A church that the Apostle Paul planted there in the, um, in the western part of what we would call today or we know of today as Turkey. And there at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul led in one of the greatest revivals in the New Testament era. And a great church was planted that was very effective in its missionary outreach. People got saved at Ephesus, which was right on a major east-west trade route. And they, they, they took the gospel with them, east and west. And one man that got saved was a man that, uh, that is here in, in the book of Colossians as Epaphras. And Epaphras got saved in Ephesus, and then he went back home. And he took the gospel back home with him. And he witnessed to his family and his friends and his neighbors. Other people got saved. Before long, he had planted a church. We know it as the church in the city of Colossae. And the letter that Paul later wrote, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Colossians. And Epaphras started this church. He also started churches in the area, in the Lycus River Valley. Heriopolis, Laodicea, other churches that were planted there. And then years later, Epaphras traveled to Rome when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And he met with Paul in Rome, and Paul wrote a letter back to the church family that Epaphras was pastoring. Epaphras is with him in Rome as he wrote the letter, and he told the members back home, your pastor is here with me, and he's been a good friend to me here in Rome. He's been a faithful minister to you back in Colossae. And he has a zeal in his heart for you. He wants to see God continue to work in your lives. And so he wrote to them in chapter 4, verse number 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, now watch this, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you. Epaphras, their pastor, had a great zeal for their lives. And the zeal was focused on their spiritual maturity. He knew they'd gotten saved. He knew that different members of the church were at different levels of development in their Christianity. And he carried their, their spiritual well-being in his heart as he visited with Paul in Rome. Paul likely heard him praying because Paul said that he is laboring fervently for you in prayers. He probably heard Epaphras praying for these church members Back in Colossae. And so when Paul wrote them, he said, I want you to know you've got a pastor 
who is praying for you. And his prayer is focused. He is praying for you specifically that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What is this prayer that Paul was praying for these believers? What was the thing that captured his heart for these people? What was he laboring fervently in prayer about? He was praying for their spiritual growth. He was praying for their spiritual maturity. That they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Those two words are very, very similar in meaning. You see on your little worksheet uh, this morning, the word perfect means to be full grown, to be mature, to be complete. Basically, that they would grow up in their Christianity. That they would be fully grown and mature. The word complete means to make full, complete, to supply fully. They're, they're almost synonyms, two words that mean almost the same thing. He's praying that they would stand perfect and complete, that they would stand mature and full in their Christian lives in all the will of God. Now, what is he praying about? He's praying about spiritual maturity, and spiritual maturity is such an important subject in all of our lives. If you're here today and you've been saved, you can go back to a time in your life where you remember coming to the point that you knew you were lost. And you needed to be born again. You need to be saved. Then, then you remember that, that you prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you. And that was the start of something new. That was the beginning of something exciting. That was the beginning of a new life. And you were born again. Old things were passed away. All things became new. And you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that was not the end that was the beginning. Spiritual maturity is all about what happened after you got saved. Now, let me tell you what spiritual maturity is not. The bottom page number one, spiritual maturity is not automatic. You don't become spiritually mature automatically because of the number of years you've been a Christian. You can't say, well, I got saved 20 years ago, so therefore I am spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity doesn't come automatically. You can't say like I can say that I've been uh, saved for over 50 years. You can't say that just because I've been saved for a particular period of years that that automatically makes me mature spiritually. Doesn't happen that way. It's not automatic. Not only that, but on the top of page 2... Spiritual maturity is not an experience. You don't just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm spiritually mature now. Happened to me overnight while I was sleeping, I guess. You don't just have an experience that you go from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity overnight. Any more than in your human life, you went from a baby to a full-grown adult over life. You... Don't become spiritually mature automatically or at an experience in life. Now, how do I know that those phrases are true? What I just said, what would give me indication that there is truth in that? Turn with me over to Hebrews and chapter number 5. 
Hebrews chapter number 5 has an amazing uh, passage that teaches us some really important stuff about spiritual maturity. And so in Hebrews chapter number 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 12. Hebrews 5 and verse number 12, the last three verses of the chapter, the Bible says, For when, for the time, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, here in this passage, we learn a number of things, but what I want you to notice at this stage in our message this morning is I want you to notice the comparison between the word teacher and the word babe. He said in verse number 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you've been saved long enough, you have been in the family of God long enough. You have had sufficient time in your walk as a Christian that you ought to be teaching other people the truths of the Word of God. You've been saved long enough that you, you ought to be teaching somebody the truths that you learned when you got saved and began to walk with Jesus Christ. You ought to be able to sit down and talk to somebody about how to get saved, about why a person who is saved ought to get baptized, about the importance of prayer and Bible reading in your life. You ought to be able to sit down and open the Bible and teach people things from the Word of God that are basic, primary Christian truths. But you can't. You can't. Because you are still a baby. In your Christian experience. Now the fact that God shows us. That there are people who have been saved long enough. That they ought to be mature. But they're not mature. As a matter of fact. They're still little babies. That shows us that spiritual maturity is not automatic. You don't just automatically grow spiritually. You don't automatically become spiritually mature. It's not something you just wake up in an experience and you are now spiritually mature. It doesn't happen that way. It'd be nice if it did happen that way, but it doesn't happen that way. Spiritual maturity is not automatic. And it's not an experience that you experience in life. Well, what is spiritual maturity? Well, let me give you four truths about spiritual maturity that are important to every one of us. No matter where we are in our growth as a Christian. Number one, the first little block there on page number two, spiritual maturity is a process. It is a process. You know, the, the book of First uh, and Second Peter has given us a, a number of uh, little pieces of information about spiritual maturity. The apostle Peter was used by God to 
write letters to Christians that were scattered all over the known world at that time. And in the second letter that he wrote, he ended the letter in the very last verse of the last chapter with an encouragement to these believers that are scattered all over the world. He wrote to them in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. He wrote this letter to believers that were scattered, and they were scattered because of persecution. We know that from reading the book of Acts, how the Christians were scattered out of Jerusalem. They went everywhere. And now these scattered Christians that have gone all over the place, Peter is writing this general letter to all of these scattered Christians, and he says to them, I want you to grow in grace. Spiritual maturity is a process. Growth is a process, isn't it? We measure the process of growth. Sometimes you can go into the home of a family that have children, and you might be able to find a wall, or you might be able to find uh, something taped to a wall. My wife were in, uh, was in a home just a couple of weeks ago, one of uh, uh, the attenders here at CBC, and, and we were in their home, and, and they had children in the home, and, and they showed me uh, a wall where, where they were... Uh, chronicling the growth of their children. And they had lines on the wall and, and names and dates when they were this tall, when they were this tall, when they were this tall, when they were this tall. And, and they chronicled the growth. Growth is a process. And sometimes we chronicle growth. We chronicle it physically in stature. Uh, uh, when you had your first baby, you chronicled the, the growth of your baby uh, with, uh, with length and weight. And, and you, you, you probably have a baby book with all these pages filled out with, with all the changes. Now, the second and the third baby came along, and the second baby just got some stuff stuck in the book. The third uh, baby came along, and the, and the book still got cellophane wrapping around it, you know. But that, but that first baby, uh, you probably every day measured that baby and wrote down why you were chronicling the process of growth in the life of that person. Growth is a process in life. And growth is a process in our spiritual life as well. I want you to see a second thing. It also comes from uh, the letters that Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter said to the church, or to the uh, Christians scattered all over, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. You see, spiritual maturity requires desire. You have to desire spiritual growth. You have to want to grow. There has to be a desire within you. It's normal in the life of an infant, a baby, a baby desire, a newborn desires milk. And a newborn uh, child has this insatiable desire to get nourishment. And, and if they don't get sufficient nourishment, they let you know they haven't gotten enough nourishment. Because they have a desire to receive that nourishment. And God uses that picture to speak of us in our spiritual lives that we have to have that kind of desire. We have to want to grow spiritually. We have to desire 
to grow spiritually. We have to want what it takes to grow. And so in 1 Peter 2, 2, we're told as newborn babes, we're to desire this sincere milk of the word of God. Because as physical milk is key to a baby's growth, so the word of God is key to the spiritual growth of a Christian. And that word can't just be in a book sitting on a shelf collecting dust. It can't be just picked up a couple times a week to carry to church. There has to be a desire to want that Word of God in order to be able to grow. No desire, no Word. No Word, no growth. I had a cousin. uh, His name was Bernard. And I can remember him when I was a child. He was older than I was. But I can remember when I was a child, he was in his teens. But, but Bernard never talked. He, he, was, he was just... His mom and dad carried him. And, and his legs and his arms were, were, were not functioning. And, and he ate baby food. And he'd had a terrible accident when he was a little infant that stopped his growth. And I can remember when he was a teenager, he was bigger than a little baby, but he was still a baby. He never grew. And that's not normal. That's not something that is desirable by any family who has little children. For someone to have lived... 15 years, but to still be like a one-year-old, that's, that's sad. Likewise, in the Christian world, when, when we've been saved 15 years, but we're still a baby, when, when, when the Bible addressed those believers in Hebrews chapter 5, it wasn't a compliment when he said, you're still a baby. You, you ought to be teaching a class, and you're still a baby. That was not a compliment. Uh, that that was a very uh, that was a very un, undesirable trait in their lives. They didn't desire to grow, and so they never grew. And so, even though they'd been saved long enough to have grown, they were still babies because they didn't have the desire to grow. Spiritual maturity requires desire. But you notice the third thing. Spiritual maturity also takes discipline. It takes discipline. Uh, turn just a few pages back to First uh, Timothy. First Timothy has uh, some... There are just these amazing little tidbits of, about spiritual maturity scattered through the Word of God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we run into another one of these little tidbits about spiritual growth. And, and we see another, another truth about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a process. It takes a long time. Spiritual maturity requires desire. You have to want it. You have to have an insatiable desire to want to grow. And spiritual maturity also takes discipline. In chapter 4 and in verse number 6... The Bible says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Now, this was written to a preacher. 
This was written by a preacher to a preacher. Paul writing to Timothy. We call this one of the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. First and second Timothy and Titus are what we call the pastoral epistles because they were not letters written to churches or to Christians scattered. They were written to pastors to teach pastors how to pastor, to teach pastors what's important in pastoring a church. And so Paul says to Timothy, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So he says to the pastor, you need to know truth. You need to be nourished up. You need to have words of faith and good doctrine that you have attained so that you can nourish others or that you can put others in remembrance of these things. Verse number seven, but refuse profane and old wives fables, which is another subject. Let's skip that and just look at the last part of the verse and exercise thyself rather unto godliness for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. He said to Timothy, now, Timothy. You need to be a good minister to those to that church family. Uh, you need to put them in remembrance of these things that I'm teaching you in this letter, First Timothy. You need to exercise thyself unto godliness. The word exercise is a kind of a humorous word. It means naked. The word exercise means naked. If you looked at it, as you, in fact, uh, I, I put it in the... It's spelled out from the original language, G-U-M-N-O-S. It almost looks like gym. We get our word gymnasium from this word, this Greek word, gymnos, which is translated exercise. It comes from the Greek and the Roman world in which in their athletic competitions they competed naked. And so uh, that, that word naked spoke of being in the gymnasium, naked, exercising and and doing sports competitions. And, and that word was used here to say we need to have the smell of the gym on our discipline to grow spiritually. We need to exercise ourselves. There needs to be some sweat. There, there needs to be some exertion of energy. We, spiritual maturity takes discipline in our lives. People don't just become spiritually mature. It's a process. You've got to want it. And you've got to work for it. It's got to leave the smell of sweat all over you. Because of how hard you've worked to be able to. To grow spiritually. He even compares it here to bodily exercise. Bodily exercise. You know, a lot of people today, it's, it's, it, you know, these gyms are popping up. You see these gyms around, you know, being built and exercise rooms. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the thing to do, you know, keep yourself physically fit. Care about your physical 
uh, appearance and your physical strength. So go to the gym and work out and lose weight and stay fit and eat right. And, 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 and bodily exercise does profit. It profits a little bit. It might add a year to your life on earth. It'll profit a little bit. Uh, you may get a little bit higher quality of enjoying life because you're physically fit. Uh, bodily exercise does profit a little bit, so there's some value to all that sweat, pumping all that iron, working all those exercise machines, walking all those miles. There's a little bit of value in all of that, but it's only a little bit of value because you're going to be alive a million years from now. And all that work that gave you a little bit of value here in this world, it's going to be very short-lived, the the value of it won't last very long, but forever, spiritual exercise will pay rich dividends. Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and that which is to come. I've got the promise of life forever. And so spiritual exercise is going to profit me a hundred years from now, sweating in the gym will profit me a little bit, but very little in comparison to spiritual exercise. Now, why does God do that? God does that to show us that spiritual maturity takes work. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes time. It takes sweat. But it has a rich payoff. It'll pay off forever and ever and ever in your existence and in your experience. He went on in, in verse, in the same, uh, same place, in, uh, in verse number 10, he, he spoke of uh, labor and suffering. Labor and suffering. In his spiritual exercise and his spiritual accomplishments and his spiritual maturity, he labored and he even suffered reproach because he put his emphasis on spiritual maturity over anything else in life. And so he labored and he suffered. So we, we learn then that spiritual maturity is a process it, it requires desire. You've got to want it. And it takes discipline and hard work in your life to be able to gain spiritual maturity. Here's the fourth truth about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a matter of developing the right habits in your life. It's a matter of, de of developing the right habits. Why? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 5 and verse number 14, passage that we read just a moment ago, Hebrews 5 verse 14, the Bible says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, who by reason of use, Verse number, uh, let's see, um, verse number 14 starts out, but, but strong meat belongs to them that are full age, mature. It, you, the, the immature can only handle milk. But, but the full age Christian, the one that has grown spiritually and grown in maturity, they're able to handle the, the, 
the, the meat of the word, the, the steak instead of the bottle of milk. The, the, the steak belongs to those that are of full age, full age, mature, who by reason of use, the phrase reason of use comes from a word which means a practice, something you practice over and over again, or we would call it a habit, something you've developed as a habit, a thoroughly established habit or skill that you achieved by repetition. You did it over and over again until it became a habit in your life. It became a practice, something you routinely did in your life because you had repeated it so many times. Now, notice what God is saying to us. Strong meat. A good sirloin steak is for those who are of full age. They're spiritually mature. Who is that? Who is spiritually mature who can handle the stake of the Word of God? Well, it's those who by reason of use, they have developed habits in their life. They have developed practices in their life. By repetitious activity until it became a habit in their life. And those habits in their life enabled them to have their senses exercised to be able to discern that which is good and evil. This is what I introduced a few moments ago. The reason we value and need seniors in our lives is because they've lived long enough and they've experienced enough things in life that if, and we learned last week, that seniors have value if they be found in the way of righteousness, the Bible says. They're seniors who are fools. But they're seniors that are wise. We need wise seniors in our lives. Why? Because they've Live long enough that they have become discerning in things that are good and things that are evil. They can give us counsel. They can help us because they've learned through the length and experiences of life. They've learned by the exercise of habits that they have habitually done throughout their life. They have become exercised to discern good and evil. The path to spiritual maturity involves habits that we, that we establish in our lives. You see on your little worksheet in the box on the right-hand side of page 3, Colossians 3, 9 and 10, the Bible says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, with the things that the old man and the things that the old man does, the habits of the unsaved life, the habits of the old man. We put off the, the old man and the deeds or the doings or the habits or the practices of the old man, and we've been renewed. We put on a new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of, of him that created him. And so in our Christian experience, we have, we have put off the old habits. We've established new habits. These new habits, we have exercised ourselves. We have worked at it. We have sweated over it. We have been disciplined. We have been diligent. We have worked to develop these habits. And the end result is that in time, the process of growth 
developed spiritual maturity and we developed discernment in our lives. So spiritual maturity is a process. It requires desire. It, re- it takes discipline. And it's a matter of developing the right habits. By the way, what are some of those habits? Tell me, what's a habit that a Christian needs to develop? That if they do it over and over and over again, it will yield spiritual growth that will in time develop spiritual maturity at which time they have discernment in that which is good and that which is bad. Give me a habit. Prayer. Huge, huge habit. What's another one? Boy, those are the top two habits. There are others, but those are the top two. I have to want to grow. Then I have to sweat over it. I have to discipline myself and work at it. Prayer and the reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God that I might develop discernment. Let me give you a number three on page number three. Spiritual maturity. It's not... It's not automatic. It won't just happen because you've been saved long enough. It's not an experience. You'll just wake up mature. No, it's a process that takes a long time to develop. And you've got to want it really bad. And you've got to work at it. You've got to sweat to develop the habits that will yield you spiritual maturity. Let me give you number three. Spiritual maturity results in growing up. Grow up. <laughs> Has anyone ever given you that advice? Grow up. You, you said something stupid. You didn't have any discernment. You didn't think clearly. You made a, you made a crazy decision. It wasn't real smart. It was obvious that you lack some maturity in your thinking. And someone looked at you and said, just grow up. Spiritual maturity results in growing up. But you know what growing up is to a Christian? Growing up is what we heard the Simpsons sing about a moment ago. Growing up is developing a likeness to the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. Ephesians 4, amazing passage on this whole subject of maturity. Verse number 13 in the little box on page 3, Ephesians 4, 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. You know, some uh, little boy says, I want to go up and be, I want to be like my dad. And he looks, he looks at his, where, where, his, where he is on the wall. And he looks at where his dad is on the wall. I want to be like dad. I want to grow up and be like dad. I want to grow up and be like dad. You know what I want? I want to grow up and be like Jesus. That's what spiritual maturity is. Just like in the physical world, someone wants to grow up and be like someone that's bigger than them, taller than them. In the Christian world, it's wanting to grow up and be like Jesus Christ. I want to be just like Jesus. I want to grow into a perfect man that measures at the stature of the fullness. Not just one of his characteristics. Not just one facet of what he's like. Not just one character trait of Jesus. I want to grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will produce that in our lives. 
in the church to the churches in Galatia, Paul wrote and said, the Spirit of God will bear fruit in your life. That fruit that he bears in your life is the multifaceted character of Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, kindness, temperance. All the facets of the one person of Jesus Christ. And I want to grow up and be like Jesus in his fullness of everything that he's like. Spiritual maturity results in growing up and being just like Jesus. Coming to the point where you think like he thinks. You love what he loves. You hate what he hates. You have become like Jesus Christ in his fullness. Let me give you one last thing. I'm going to pick up on this tonight. But this is what was driving uh, this whole thing I mentioned at the very beginning. Number four, spiritual maturity produces discernment. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this this evening. Let me introduce it to you. Spiritual maturity produces discernment in our lives. The passage in Hebrews 5, the little clip of it is on the page there. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Spiritual growth will produce in my life the ability to analyze things in this world. To be able to analyze and carefully think about things in this world. And to be able to have the mind of Christ to understand his analysis. What he thinks is good about this or what he thinks is bad about this. Discernment. To discern between that which is good and evil is priceless. And could I say that we're suffering the lack of discernment in our world today? A lot of people don't know the mind of Christ. And we as Christian people, it's got to be our goal. It's got to be what we desire. It's got to be what we sweat to get to. It's got to be what we work and discipline ourselves to achieve in our lives. That we might become spiritually mature so that we can analyze our world, analyze things in our world, analyze things in our own lives. And to be able to discern the good and the bad to be able to make decisions reflective of the character of Jesus Christ. How precious it is to have a wise senior or wise seniors in your life who are spiritually mature so that in times in our lives where we're still growing, we're still developing the habits and and practicing the habits and, and pumping the iron and working out spiritually, we're still working to achieve maturity, to gain discernment. How we need wise, godly seniors who've lived long enough, who've walked with God long enough, that we can sit down with them and that we can seek their understanding of something that we're wrestling with. We need seniors. We love seniors because they're at a place in life where if they live their Christian life well, they have discernment. And we need wise, discerning seniors speaking into our ears, helping us to have perspective that we don't have yet because we're still too young 
in the faith or in our development of our faith in Christ, that we don't have that discernment that they may have. Discernment. Solomon had that. Solomon said, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? Solomon knew he needed discernment and he prayed and asked God for discernment. But what about what about discernment between maybe it's not between right and wrong, good and evil. Maybe it's discernment between something that's wrong and maybe not, not all that wrong. Spurgeon once said, back in the 1800s, Spurgeon said discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. Someone said it this way, never let the good in your life become the enemy of the best. Discernment, when it's fully developed, will help you not only to be able to see the difference between good and evil, but between something that's good and maybe not quite as good, or something that is okay, but there's something better. And we'll look and see where the Word of God teaches that this evening as we explore just a little bit further this thing of spiritual discernment that comes as a result of and is produced by spiritual maturity. I like what uh, what uh, Spurgeon said. He was concerned that in his day that in the Christianity of London, England at the end of the 1800s, that they were losing their discernment at a pastor level, at a preacher level. They were losing their discernment. And he saw that as a huge problem in London, England. And he said, and it's on your little sheet there at the end, where will a lack of discernment take us? Spurgeon, it's attributed to Spurgeon as saying, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Have we come to a place in America where churches are places where clowns entertain the goats instead of shepherds feeding the sheep the doctrine of the Word of God? You see, the difference between a shepherd and a clown is discernment. And discernment is not something to be taken lightly. Discernment is critical in our lives. And until we have lived long enough and walked with God deeply enough to where we have spiritual discernment, we need some wise, discerning seniors speaking into our ears, helping us see what we didn't see. Guarding us for making decisions we shouldn't make. And helping us to do things that will spur on the developing of godliness in our lives. As opposed to worldliness. Spiritual maturity. How are you doing? Are you growing? 